I think it's funny, people, when you move to a city, everyone wants to tell you, like, where to live. They don't know. I mean, most people, like, they don't know anything about, they don't want to know what you're interested in, where you're working, what type of stuff you'd want to do. But they want to tell you, they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you what part of the city has a good wine bar. I think that's typically what happens. They'll tell you, oh, you're moving to Chicago? You should you should really look into Wicked w- Wicked Park. You should really move to Wicker Park. There's like a really great wine bar. There's a lot of cute shops with a lot of knickknacks. There's like a nice like there's a nice park there. You're gonna love it. Though it's like you wouldn't. It's like okay, well I'm moving to this city. They're not. It's it's funny the way they recommend it. First of all, when they recommend it, they're saying. Hey, I've been to that neighborhood. I've been to Chicago, first of all. I'm well traveled. I've been to that na- I've been to that city. Also, you should know I like wine bars. I'm the type of person that will go buy a $15 bo- uh, glass of Merlot. I'll go do that. You know that? I'm going to tell you Logan Square so that you know I have been there and also I I have expendable income to buy a $15 glass of Merlot. Um, I think that's, or maybe it's really them just saying, this is a safe neighborhood. Because if you can buy a $15 glass of Merlot in the neighborhood, there's not a lot of crime. Maybe, I don't think I'm wrong. I'm, I'm going to stand by that. If you can get a $15 glass of Merlot, drink it outside on a patio, um, yeah, there's probably not... A lot of violent crime in that neighborhood. So it, people don't people don't consider when they're when they give you a recommendation. They don't know your budget. They don't know where you're working. They don't know what you're interested in, but they want to give you a recommendation. So it's funny when you tell when I moved to LA, I moved to K Town, and the office I worked at was in Santa Monica. And people that I worked with were like, "Why didn't you just move to Santa Monica? Why didn't you move here?" And then you then you're stuck with this weird conversation where you have to say, "I don't make." I guess I don't make as much money as you do. Even we work in the same organization. Maybe we even have the same title. But then you have to, you have to say um, it's too much money. I live in Koreatown not because I like the cuisine, not because I have Korean family, not because I like the culture, because I don't have enough money to live in this neighborhood. It's you know what I mean when people say, "Well, why don't you live closer to the office?" Like, do you really want to know? Do you want me to answer that question? Cuz it's obvious. If someone moves if someone moves to LA and they move to Koreatown, it's it's because they're like barely moving to LA. It's either cuz they for me it was I wanted to live alone. Didn't want to live in a house with other people. Um I wanted to live by myself and that's why I moved there. So people like, you moved to Koreatown, why'd you do that? I should have just said I'm not going to tell you. Figure it out. Think about why I would move to Koreatown when I live in Santa Monica. Like, there's no wine bars. Where are you going to get wine? Where are you going to get, you know, whatever? Uh, or they assume you just really like dumplings or something like that. It's just funny when people... People don't consider... Well, I guess it does make sense because... If I were to, when people, people never ask me for recommendations of where to live, or I guess they kind of do, but the first thing I factor in is price. I'm like, look, you don't want to live in Santa Monica. You're going to be house poor. You're going to be paying off your rent. 
you're never going to be able to go anywhere or you're going to go anywhere and you're not going to be able to save. You're not going to be able to travel. But maybe some people don't want to do that. Maybe some people prioritize other things. Because at that point when people say, where where should I live? What neighborhood should I live in? Then I got to ask questions like, how how stable are you financially? That's a question I have to ask. If you're like, what neighborhood should I live in? You should do the research online. You should plug it into some sort of calculator, figure out how much you should be budgeting on your rent or your mortgage, figure it out from there. Because if you're asking me, I have to, I have a couple questions. I have to know how much money you make, how much, you know, how much debt you're in. Do you have a car payment? You know, do you have anything? Do you have like medication that costs a lot of money? Do you really want to ask me this question? Do you just want to tell me where a good wine bar is? Then you can kind of go around there, figure it out from there where you want to live. I can do that. I can play that with you. I'll do that. If that's what you're asking, like, where should I live? I'm like, okay. What do you like to do? What's your budget? Because now, I mean, I bought, so I have my house that I bought. And it's, the neighborhood is like, I mean, it's just a little bit, it's dirty. You know, it's like, it's not super clean. It's not, but that's how it is. It's not, it's like, it's kind of grungy. It's kind of up and coming. There's a lot of, it's a warehouse district. And people ask me, and people do ask, like, well, why'd you, why'd you buy a house down there? I'm like, first of all, I bought, I bought a house in Los Angeles. It's in Los Angeles and I bought a house. People are like, why'd you buy a house there? Okay, well, the first thing is like, wow, you bought a house, congratulations, that's very impressive. I don't really understand why it's, I mean, it, really what it is is you saved enough money to buy a house and that's cool. And All right, thank you, thank you. Um, but then they're like, why'd you buy it there? I'm like, you just asked me. You just answered your own question. You were surprised that I was able to buy a house. And then you ask, well, why did you buy it there? It's because this is the house I could buy. This was the option, you know? So it's people like, why did you buy a house down there? I'm like, because I could. Because that's, because that was the house. There weren't options. This is the house. So, yeah. If people ask questions, people ask questions to the answer is money. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money to buy a house in Culver City. That's why I didn't buy a house in Culver City. Because I didn't have enough money. Had I had more money, I would have bought a house in Beverly Hills. Like, why didn't you buy, Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you get the point. But it is funny, people do ask certain questions. I think also we do have a hard time just saying, like, our financial, things that are, like, financially, we have a hard time saying no, we have a hard time saying that, like, the reason we didn't do something and the reason we're going to do something is financial. Um, We have a hard time saying, like, oh, I won't go, I won't go in on this or I won't go on your trip or I won't go to your wedding because I don't want to spend that much money, which I don't think is wrong. You can just say like, I don't want to spend that much money. Money's important to me. I want to spend my money my way. Or maybe I don't have that much money. Maybe I bought one thing. It's okay to not have money. Money is just, it's also, yeah, it's okay to say I don't have it. Or it's also okay. Another thing people say that about weddings, they're like, oh, are you going to come to my wedding? And, and you just say, oh, no, it's it's too far and it's going to be too expensive for me. And like, oh, I'm sorry about your financial situation. It's like, no, my, finan- my financial situation is good. My financial situation is great. Just 
I don't want to spend money going there. Which is, I mean, it's kind of like disrespectful, but it's also you being honest with the people that invited you to their wedding of wh how important you are to them. Which isn't like, which isn't disrespectful, but it's just also letting them know that's not that important to me. Which I think I think is good. I think it's good to like openly communicate to people and not not lie and say, "Oh, I, you know, I have something that weekend. I couldn't go. I really wanted to, but I couldn't go." When that's not true. You had nothing that weekend or you did have something, but you could have pushed it off. Um so that they think that you do value the friendship more than you do, which could cause problems later, later down the road. Eventually, they're gonna expose the fact that like, look, you're not that important to me in my life. And that's okay, it's okay. It doesn't mean I think you suck. It doesn't mean that I don't wanna see you. It doesn't mean if you come to my city that I don't wanna maybe get dinner. Um, it just means I'm not gonna sacrifice that much time and money to go to your wedding. That's all. Okay, all right, I've actually re-recorded this, but um, I was talking to, well, I wasn't talking to anyone. I haven't talked to anyone in a long time. Um, but incels, incels are by, involuntary celibates, if you don't know what an incel is. I think it's funny, though, because even by definition, it's involuntary celibates. But they kind of become voluntary celibates, because if you know them, they're a bunch of, like, you know, no pussy getting dudes that hate women and hate hate women for not having sex with them and them being polite because they were polite women don't have and women don't have sex with them they hate women so now it's like it's almost like they're voluntary celibates so it's a funny name because if one of them does get presented the opportunity because he's in this group of like guys none of us are fucking none of us are gonna fuck anyone and that's like our pact and they're and it's like a community is around that and you want to it's an ideology that like we're you know what sex isn't for us and uh i mean it's definitely like a negative community to be a part of but it definitely a brotherhood a brotherhood a community nonetheless but if one of them does get the opportunity to have sex he can't be an involuntary celibate Right, by definition, because he either does have sex and he's not celibate, or he turns it down and then it's voluntary celibacy. So it's the, it's a funny thing if a guy does get presented with sex, he kind of has to go to the rest of the group and be like, look guys, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a part of the group anymore. I can't, I don't participate. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting sex thrown at me, you know? It's on the table. It's on the table for me now, so like, I'm not a part of this, and uh, the whole ideology breaks down. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a funny concept to me. It's poor guys, it's um, yeah. They have to kind of like abandon their whole belief system. There was something about incels that, Oh, this was it. I think it's as a when you're growing up, I think this is everyone, but you're taught this very basic idea of chivalry or being polite or respecting women in an odd way because it's it's almost good guys hold the door open for women and pull their chairs out and then women will have sex with you because that's what like knight in shining armor gentlemen do 
that's all you got. If you open the door, if you buy a meal for somebody, if you, <laughs> I don't even know, you pull your chair out, they'll fuck you. They will. They'll have sex with you. It's like kind of what you're taught. You're not taught to be uh, considerate and be kind and to listen and maybe just respect anyone in general, even someone you're not trying to have sex with. That's not the idea, but it's like if you're a gentleman to a woman you go on a date with, if you check all the boxes, and then the then really what the men, what involuntary celibates are doing is like, I checked all the boxes, I paid for the meal, I bought her a flower to go on her dress, I pulled her chair out, and she didn't have sex with me. Now, like I'm owed something, you know what I mean? Like I'm owed that. That's how they said it would go, which isn't really what they're taught. I mean, it's not what we're taught as men, but it's close. It's easily misconstrued as that. So kind of, I mean, it does like, I do have a lot of sympathy for them because it does. I mean, when you're young, I mean, you just don't understand things that well. You don't really pick up on it, especially if you're not raised around a lot of women. You're taught that way. And then if you're not never taught anything different, you're just confused and you're angry because you're not you know, you're not, not only is it like you're not having sex, but nobody's talking to you, you're not connecting with any women, uh, you're lonely, you're not getting any sort of intimate connection, it's because somebody explained it to you in a, in the wrong way. And a lot of guys, they feel like they're burning resources, you know what I mean? They're spending a lot of their time, they're spending a lot of their money on these, on women in hopes of like having a sexual experience or getting some sort of validation as a man having a girlfriend or something and they don't get it and yeah it's just it's ass back it is ass backwards i feel like chivalry is kind of i don't know if chivalry is the right word but being a gentleman i don't think it helps anyone i don't think i think it just sets people up for disappointment um and feeling like you're own something so when people do talk about gender roles and gender as a construct i'm like yeah it is it totally is it's not something that actually exists and i think it also tells people this is what your lot is in life this is how you behave if this is how you behave then this was what's going to happen and it's not true so in general I'm, I'm like i'm watching people become more um non-binary or just androgynous or just even not abiding by their, you know, born gender. And I'm like, well, this is great. This is great because it's, I think it addresses more humanity of the person than it does what your lot in life is and a series of boxes you're supposed to check in order to achieve what you're supposed to in life. So... Yeah, it's just how we were raised. I think we were just raised real. This is how it goes. We were raised, this is how it's going to be. If you do these things, you'll have like a pretty cool life. And your life's going to look exactly like that. And that's what it should be. You'll be happy once you get there. So I think that's why involuntary celibates are so disappointed. Is because they checked all the boxes and then they get there. And they're like, I'm supposed to be happy. Because in reality, even if they did have sex with a woman, it wouldn't make them happy. Because that's not what makes you happy. Believe me, I've had sex with a woman. And it didn't necessarily make me happy. It wasn't the reason I was happy or mad or sad or whatever. 
me think what else I have. Okay. I, uh, I am, I am full on addicted to breathing exercises, which sounds weird. I usually, I would make, I'm trying to be a more positive person despite, I mean, that, I feel like that wasn't much of, a, of like a rant. Hope it wasn't trying to be negative. I'm trying to empathize with the incels. It sucks when I see them. I really do feel bad for them. I really just feel like they're misinformed. Um, and they just need help with empathy. All right, I'm done. But breathing exercises, I'm just not into woo-woo stuff and like spiritual stuff or self-help things. I think that for a long time in my life, I was, anything that anyone, any advice anyone ever tried to give me, I always thought I knew better. I, I never wanted anyone's tips for anything. Uh, I just wanted to be miserable. I just wanted to be, no, I'm good. I'm, life sucks and I want to be miserable. Don't tell me about your ways to make my life better could potentially improve mine. That's dumb. I'm, this is the way to be nice and miserable. So I started getting into different stuff in breathing exercises with my friend Matt. For a long time, he'd always tell me. I think really why I didn't believe him for so long was because he was always talking to me about, he was talking to me about this guy who didn't masturbate. He was always talking about the virtues of not masturbating. He was telling me, oh, I've gone, you know, eight weeks, no masturbating. It's cleared my head and all this. So I think initially when he told me that, I had a very big opposition to it because once he was saying, don't masturbate, I'm like, I didn't masturbate for a very long time. Then I started masturbating again. I don't want to get all into that, but I took a pretty long hiatus from masturbating. And when I started masturbating again, it was, it was changed my life, changed my life for the better. So when he started saying that, I was, I was just kind of incredulous of anything that came after. He was like, no masturbating. And I'm like, anything that comes out of your mouth after, I'm going to say it's just as wacky as, you know, not jacking off. So anyway, he was telling me about breathing exercises. And finally, I was like, okay, I guess I'll try it out. It's like trying breathing exercises. I've watched today. I've watched this one 11-minute YouTube video four times today. The same video four times and done breathing exercises four times. And not only that, I've wanted to do it more times. I've thought, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm like, I should do a breathing. I'm like, oh, I just did a breathing exercises 20 minutes ago. I'm, I'm addicted to it. I'm looking forward to ending this video and doing a breath exercise. It is, it feels good. And I like it because the guy's not trying to like change your life. He's not trying to tell you some sort of phil philosophical way to think and breathe and do all that. It's just follow these directions and you'll get a head rush. You'll get a head rush. Nothing more, nothing less. I mean it, but it does. It changes your mood. It changes. It changes your mood. It makes everything all right. You get. You do these like frantic breaths. So you kind of freak out a little bit. It's not freak out, but you get a little bit anxious. You start thinking about, you know, little things that would, fears of the future. I don't have to explain anxiety to you, but then you do these long breath holds. And during the long breath holds, you feel it. You feel, it's a, it's a physical rush. It's a physical rush of blood to the head. And there's part of me that thinks it's just like the kid that would just asphyxiate himself until he passed out for a head rush. It feels like I'm still doing that. I remember in youth group, there was a kid.
nice guy, really great guy, like one of the nicest people I've ever met. But when we were kids, him and another kid, they would like choke each other against the wall until they would pass out for, so they'd black out and it would give them a buzz or something. And I remember telling my, they were like, do it, we're gonna do it to you. And I was like, absolutely fucking not. They were older kids, but I was still like, no, I am absolutely, you just, it looked like you died. You look like you died. I remember telling my parents, they were like, yeah, don't, don't be doing that. You, you could die. Kids die that way. And they did. I'm sure kid, not kids did die that way. So part of me thinks when I'm doing these breath exercises, I'm like, am I just asphyxiating myself until I, you know, cause, am I just losing brain cells right now? Am I just getting a head rush by, is it like an inhalant? Is it like a whip it? Cause part of me, and I, cause I am, sure, I'm addicted to it. Like I wanna do it, I wanna do it. You know, I like holding my breath, I like feeling it kind of come in. So I feel very zened out too. I feel very new agey. I feel very spiritual when I do it. It's also got me into stretching a lot. It's just um, more things that are, I, I mean, I've been just working on my overall attitude my overall disposition toward life. And so I think the breathing exercises have kind of got me into that because the, the head rush really feels so good that I'm like, maybe other stuff is cool too. Maybe other stuff I've heard about is cool too. So I uh, I tried doing, it's so hard to, uh, transcendental, um, transcendental? Transcendental Meditation, TM. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna get into that. I'm gonna try that out. Cause I think I had before, I just didn't have the patience, but this time I was going, I was going to do it. I was gonna like give it the full shot. And I did this. First of all, I watched a guy talk about Transcendental Meditation and he was really cool. He was like, I mean, it was from like the eighties or something, but he was talking he's like, if you just, if you just sat, if you felt like you did it and you just sat there for 20 minutes and didn't do anything and just thought about stuff, you did it. You did it right. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, then I guess I'm, it, and I want to, I want to believe, I want to get something good out of it. So then I thought about it. So it's almost like me thinking about doing my transcendental meditation before when I was disappointed in it and then looking back on it and been like, no, that was actually really helpful. It was actually pretty awesome. Like the thing I did that I thought was total bullshit, I go back and think about it and I'm like, wow, actually it helped me. Anyway, they do this, they do this um, uh, analogy where they talk about the ocean and they go, oh, waves on top of the ocean. It's like, you know, there's a storm on top of the ocean, the waves are crashing. If you go deep under the ocean, it's peaceful. That's you. That's you in your life. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I get, I can visualize that. So I tried to apply it and I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't, I couldn't get there. And that's what I realized. I was like, you, different things can get you there different ways and they can work for other people. So when someone said that, I'm like, okay, I can understand why someone would hear that and they would say, that's great, I get that, I understand that, and it makes me feel more at peace with who I am. There was some, it was Russell Brand. Russell Brand was walking the actual meditation I did, and then he, it's funny, because he kind of, he talks about, like, listen to everything going on around you. 
You hear the humming of a light that you forgot to turn off when I told you to turn. And I was like, wait, you didn't tell me to turn it off. He kind of like, he kind of, I mean, with his, he's, you know, he's charming. He's Russell Brand. But he does this thing. He's like, oh, you should have turned off that light. I'm like, you didn't tell me, Russell Brand. You didn't tell me to turn off that light. It's on. You didn't tell any, I mean, you ruined my transcendental meditation. But I, I did do it. I did do it after that i mean he kind of like gives you a prompt of what to think about when you're meditating or you know what to kind of like fixate on so i did try it i did try it out i tried it out and uh basically it's just it's like me it was me like moaning on my bed for 20 minutes because i was doing my mantra it's not really moaning it's more like it's more fake snoring is what it sounds like so i just fake snored on my bed for 20 minutes and this is what i'll say i think i did get something out of it because i wanted to get something out of it i was it did a lot of thinking i tried to just let whatever thoughts came to my mind just kind of come and observe them and explore them and i think it was really helpful but i also know that i wanted it to be helpful so it was good. I, I had a lot of different thoughts and they were, I started crying for a little bit, not long, but there was a little bit of something, I don't want to get too personal, but yeah, I definitely, there's something to it. I'm about it. It's not bad. So if you want to do transcendental meditation, here's what you do. I'm going to start though. Okay, so yeah, if you want to do transcendental meditation, what you should do just lay lay on a bed, sit in a chair, cross your legs. It really doesn't matter. That's the whole thing. That's what I liked about transcendental meditation. I liked about the breathing exercises is that they don't there's not too much coaching. It's kind of freestyling. They give you a very they, a very simple thing to do is focus on something physical. And that made it easy for me. Okay, I can folk I can lay on a bed and like focus on making a noise and repeating a noise. I can do that. So the, or I can focus on breathing. I can follow a breathing rhythm and I can hold my breath. So it's not just some sort of thing where it's like, think about your, your mom and how much she loves you or doesn't love you can, you can, it's a physical thing that you can focus on. And then you just see what mental thing, spiritual thing, emotional thing comes, which was helpful for me. So with the breathing exercises, you don't, you can, I pet my cat when I'm doing it. It doesn't matter. It's not you. It's not like you didn't follow the rules or something. You can just do it, and then whatever you did was it. Whether it was positive or it probably won't be negative, but um, it was fun though. I'm trying to think what thought I had that might not be too personal. I think really what I've been thinking about family vacations a lot, and I like I remembered being in Colorado Springs with my parents, watching. Uh, Nickelodeon, watching like Nickelodeon, watching NSYNC on MTV, really like getting into cable TV when we could, because we didn't have it when I was a kid. But it made me think like parents just playing this. I mean, I had a great, I had a great childhood. Like, I don't, I'm probably an annoying person to be around because it just like it just was pretty good. Because I thought about it and I was like, really, what my parents? Oh, this is the story. This is the story I was gonna tell. Really, my parents would take us on vacations, and they were just, let's let's try to have a good time with the boys. Let's try to have the boys have a good time. If the boys have a good time, 
we'll have a good time too. It was really just my parents. My whole childhood was my parents just making sure the boys were having good experiences, like having a good childhood. That was the focus of their lives, was to make sure that we had a good childhood. I'm not bragging, but that's how it was. I'm just crediting my parents with making sure I didn't turn into a total scumbag, which I didn't. Maybe that's why I turned out. I feel like I did. I'm doing better now. I'm doing better now. I think I'm doing well. So anyway, this is the story I remembered. I remember we were in Indianapolis. It was my brother and I. And we were just like, it was like the Pokemon, Pokemon card age, whatever that was. I think it was like third grade or something. But we were in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis, and my my brother and I, I remember we were just like bickering. We were just bickering all the time about anything and everything, almost to the point of it was muscle memory. It wasn't even like we were really upset about anything. But we just bickered about anything. It was just like everything had to be something. We just had like a toxic relationship. I think mean, that's pretty common of siblings. But I remember, I remember being in the hallway of the hotel. It was a nice hotel, and I remember my. I remember saying something, and I remember thinking. I remember thinking, man, Johnny and I are fighting a lot. I remember thinking like. Maybe because my parents had given us cues that like they were kind of getting uh, downtrodden with our just incessant like bickering at each other. But I remember having the thought, I'm like, man, we're kind of ruining this vacation. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking about, man, Johnny and I are fighting so much. This has to be, like... This has to be bad. And in that moment, I don't know if this is actually, I remember having that thought, maybe it was a couple hours before, maybe it was right then. But then I remember my mom telling me, I remember my mom saying to me, like, you you boys are ruining this vacation. And I remember thinking like, yeah, no, I, I get that. Yeah, I get that. We're definitely ruining this vacation. This has to be, we have to be so annoying. Cause I, just to have the, the, perspective to realize that this is nonsense we're fighting over nonsense we're really only fighting because it is our relationship our relationship is to fight we don't really know how to interact with each other if we're not just fighting about pokemon cards so it was kind of funny it wasn't like i wasn't i didn't say well johnny's being bad johnny's the one he's ruining the vacation i was just like no it's both of us we're both kind of responsible for this miserable vacation that we've created um, I feel so bad because my parents were just trying to like show us a good time, take us to Burlington Co. Factory and buy like a hoodie or something. I, that's another memory that was just a part of that vacation. But another just example of my parents trying to be good. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought about when I was doing my transcendental meditation. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because I thought about, I'm like, okay, that's why I'd like to have children. I'd like to have children soon because I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to think about how you can kind of be singularly focused on someone else's happiness. Makes it a lot easier. Makes it a lot easier for yourself if you're not focused on your own happiness because it's a little bit ethereal. It's a little bit out there. It's a little bit intangible. You can't happiness isn't a thing but if you can look at someone else and see them experiencing joy it's a lot easier like oh if i'm just focused on someone else and trying to make their life better and give them um especially a child because kids are cute so 
yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it was a very helpful, it was a helpful meditation. So I do, I actually do recommend it. I might do it tonight, actually, when I finish this. But, oh, the other thing, oh, this one's so lame. Lame's offensive. Is gay offensive? Yeah. I mean that I mean this is both lame and gay in the best possible way because I'm about to say it I'm about to say it, and I think it's pretty good, but it's both lame and gay which I mean as uh, Compliments I mean in the best possible way, but this was something I said I was like you give people You give people the knife to stab you so when you say oh you're hurting my feelings Oh you hurt me look what you've done to me. Oh you've hurt me when people that I think that's manipulation and that's what I've realized. I'm like, and I was like, only anyone can make, I don't feel bad if someone's like, oh, I'm, you hurt me, you hurt my feelings. I don't, if I don't feel like I hurt their feelings, I may say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that, my bad. But to think like, oh, I now I feel guilty. That's what it is. You get, I feel guilty about that. So if I try to guilt someone into feeling bad, because think how much you do that. You're like, I'm going to make them feel bad for about what they did. That's really my goal. I'm not trying to get them to say, oh, hey, sorry, work on the relationship, build it back, mend it, make it better. I'm like, no, I want them to feel bad because I feel bad. So I'm going to guilt them. I'm going to manipulate them so that they feel something that I felt. And then same thing with other people now. I mean, I've had it recently. People have, I mean, someone in my life reached out and I saw it for what it was. It was them doing something where it was an attempt, it was clear and obvious now that they were trying to make me feel guilty. They were trying to say, you should feel bad. This is how you made me feel. And you should feel bad about that. You're essentially, they didn't say this, but you're not a very good person. And in the attempt, in an attempt to make me feel like I'm not a very good person and for me to kind of respond in a way that would admit that and say, not even admit that, but to respond and say, oh, I feel so bad, I'm so sorry. But in, in I think you have three options. You have three options because you can either say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, I feel so bad about what I did, can you ever forgive me? You can kind of come from that angle. Or you can say, okay, yeah, there's some truth. You can come from an angle of like, okay, I don't, you know, all right. I I didn't mean to make you feel like that. And to not be emotionally affected, but to say, hey, you have some points there. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't address it this way. And I'm sorry. Which a lot of times isn't what the person wants because they want, they want you to feel bad. They want you to feel guilty. They want you to come back with their, your tail between your legs. They want you emotionally affected. They want you emotionally affected. So if you go back and you're like, uh, yeah, there are some things I should apologize for. And here I am apologizing for it. Do you forgive me? Either way, if they forgive you or not, doesn't affect you emotionally. You're like, oh, you don't forgive me? Okay, I will move on. I'm, my conscience is clean. I got nothing. Or you can go the other way and get defensive. You can say, well, you hurt me. You made me feel this way, so you're the bad person, which, isn't, which is even worse. I think that's the worst way to go. But you let people do that. And you say, well, they were making me feel bad. Oh, I don't want to do that because they might think I'm this way. They might think I'm this way. Maybe you are that way. Maybe they might think you're that way because you are that way. And maybe that's fine, you know? I think that with people thinking I'm cheap, you know? I think if I even just like 
asking for someone to pay me back for something like that. I think that happens a lot. <laughs> I'm, if I've talked about this before, I've talked about it, but something like that, you may think, oh, if I, if I ask them to pay me back for whatever that was, they're gonna like think I've been thinking about it and that I'm cheap. Well, you are thinking about it. And you are, whatever cheap means to you, you are thinking about it. You are thinking about the fact that they owe you money. And you would assume that the fact that they, if they had forgotten that they owed you money, they'd wanna be reminded, they'd wanna pay you back. And what type of person would say, oh, you're asking for that money back? Wow, what a miser, you know? No, they're not gonna say that. They're gonna say, oh, I'm so sorry. And if they are the type of person that says, wow, they just nickel and dime me over a Chipotle order, then then whatever. Then you're the person that nickel and dimes over a Chipotle order. That's who you are. Maybe you're the type of person that lets that go, maybe you're not. I'm not. If, if you say, hey, pick me up some Chipotle, I'm gonna Venmo request you. I'm gonna say, yes, I will pick that up for you, but you better Venmo request me by the time I'm at the front of the line at Chipotle, or you're not getting it. If they're like, wow, wow. If that's what it, so if someone says, wow, really? You're just not gonna give it to me? I don't even know what your Venmo is. And I was like, here's the Venmo. And then if I get there and I don't give them, let's say they don't, they're, they don't give me. They're like, just get it for me. I'll pay you back when you're here. And I don't get the Venmo request. This is a completely situation that's never happened. If I say, hey, you got 20 minutes to send me a Venmo request for the Chipotle you want me to pick up. Send me 12 bucks, I'll come back with your Chipotle. And they don't send it to me and I show up at the place. This is This wouldn't be the person I'm hanging out with. This would just be like some sort of other person, I would say, that I don't know very well and I don't trust to pay me back anyway. You like a friend of a friend. And they're like, I can't believe you didn't pick it up. Like, why didn't you, you were there? I wouldn't, it's, there's a part of me that when I was, I don't know, like a month ago would have been like feeling bad, feel, not wanting to be shamed for not picking up the Chipotle. But now I realize I'm the type of person that just, I'd say, well, you didn't get it. Like you, you had your chance, you didn't do it. That's on you. And if they were to hold that against me, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Um, and it's nice. It's really, you don't got to care about everything. That's it, Chipotle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it.